Our first scripture reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans from chapter 7, verses 15 through 25a. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Let us bow together for a moment of prayer. O Lord, our God, we come together this morning in this place because we long for you. Our souls thirst for you. Grant that in the words we have read this day, we may know your presence and hear your voice clearly, speaking to us of the power of your love to transform our lives Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. He was not quite 30 years old, although he looked much older than that. His face was wrinkled. His eyes were outlined by dark circles. His shoulders were stooped, his hands trembled like leaves in the wind. He sat there in the old chair beside my desk in my study at Purity Presbyterian Church in Chester. He appeared to be partly terrified and partly hopeful. I had watched him as he approached the church 
<clears throat> and I could sense that there was hesitation in his steps. He paced up and down on the sidewalk out behind the educational building for probably 15 or 20 minutes. And I wondered if he could or would dare to come in. I didn't really know who he was, except that I had seen him around town and several people had told me that he was just another alcoholic. There was an AA group that met in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church that was just two blocks up Wiley Street from where we were located. And they required each person who came into that group to have a conference with a pastor. And because the man who referred him to AA was a member of our congregation, it really didn't surprise me that he would come to me for his conference. He was not a member of a church anywhere, so he could have chosen anywhere. I learned quickly in meeting with these folks that these conferences were always a struggle. Somehow the church and the pastor, any church and any pastor, represented to them a life they had known in some way or another, but a life that apparently was gone now, a life of hope, a life with prospects for joy and peace and a future. And as these men and women thought about the church and what it stands for, they had lots of different reactions. They sometimes threw up defenses to try to justify their behavior, defenses that usually obscured the truth. For some of them who came, it was clear that they bore the burden of a deep sense of guilt, a, a burden of remorse and regret that usually expressed itself in hostility toward the church. Some of them would say things like, well, the church doesn't really care about us. The church doesn't understand us and what we go through. I don't think you really want to understand us. The church is just so full of hypocrites, it can't see its own sins. And that's the way it went. And I always thought, well, you know, there may be a measure of truth in what some of them are saying, but probably not as much as they thought there was. At any rate, <clears throat> this young man had walked up and down on the sidewalk behind the church for probably 20 minutes, and I wondered if he would take the risk of coming in. Or perhaps I thought he might just run away, as he had done before, to lose himself once more in the wilderness of his addiction, from which he always emerged with a greater sense of misery than before. And then I heard the church doors open. It was an old building with noisy doors and it was hard to come in without everybody in the building knowing you were coming in. He came into the building and I heard him ask the church secretary, Teresa, if he could see the pastor. It was almost as if to wait another minute would have been too late. And so there he was sitting in that terribly uncomfortable old chair beside my desk and he just started pouring out his story, telling me all about himself. 
He kept his head bowed, his hands clasped tightly between his knees. And he poured out the story of his bondage to the bottle. When he did manage to look up after five or ten minutes, he had his face was washed in tears and those tears seemed to speak of the fear that he felt, fear of the future, maybe even the fear of not having much of a future, but tears that also seemed to beg for, for hope, for help, for mercy. So we talked for a while. Now, I have to confess, when I had these conferences with these folks, I always approached them with a measure of pessimism because I grew up with an alcoholic stepfather, an unrepentant uh, alcoholic uh, who, to be honest with you, was not a very nice person. But the more this young man poured out about his life, my pessimism about his chances were overcome. And I began to think, well, maybe there is some hope for this child of God who has endured so much in such a short time. When he came into my study, I was trying frantically to finish a sermon for Sunday. And I had on my desk uh, an open copy of the Good News Bible, the Good News for Modern Man that some of you will know. And it was open to the book of Romans. Almost without thinking, I found my eyes drawn to those pages and began to read from the seventh chapter. I do not understand what I do, for I do not do what I would like to do, but instead I do what I hate. So I'm not really the one who does this thing. It's the sin that lives in me. For even though the desire to do good is in me, I'm not able to do it. I don't do the good I want to do. Instead, I do the evil that I don't want to do. What an unhappy man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's taking me to death? And before I could read any further, this young man broke in and he said, I don't know who wrote that. But he said, I guarantee you he was an alcoholic. (laughs) He said, that is me. That's exactly how it is. I know what I ought to do. And I want to do it. But I just can't seem to do it. Well, there's a lot more to his story. But for now, I want to pause to be sure that, that we all see what happened to this young man as he listened to the words of Paul, how he heard them, how, how closely he identified with these words, how he knew that these ancient words written for God's people 1,900 years earlier, halfway around the world, were words that were also written for him, to him, about him. They told his story just as surely as they told Paul's story and I think just as surely as they tell your story and mine. Alcoholic, 
Maybe. But not necessarily. It goes so much deeper. It's so much broader than that. These words, in truth, are the story of every person. Words that confront us with an awareness of what we should be, of what we might have been, of what we are. They give voice to the question that sooner or later every one of us asks ourselves, who will rescue me from this body that is taking me to death? Who indeed? For in the midst of our recognition and confession of the unhappy and sometimes tragic dimensions of our lives, the doxology at the end of the same seventh chapter of Romans has profound meaning. Thanks be to God who rescues us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then that's followed by the compelling affirmation that opens the 8th chapter of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. Faith. Is that it? Is that the key that unlocks the prison houses of body and spirit? It absolutely is. There is no other way to know the meaning or the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no shortcuts. There are no easier answers. There are no less costly ways. The only pathway to knowing the reality of God's forgiveness of us in Jesus Christ the only way to enjoy complete freedom from the powers of sin and death is to accept the gift of God's grace as freely as it's given, to believe it, to commit our lives to it, and then to live in the wonder of it day after day after day. It was by a simple, uncomplicated faith in the transforming power of the gospel that that young man <clears throat> who sat in my study that day found freedom from his bondage to alcohol. By faith, he came to know that nothing, absolutely nothing, not even the bottle, could separate him from the love of God for him in Jesus Christ. And in that love, he found the courage to confront and to conquer the demon that had threatened to destroy him. And I cannot help but wonder now whether there is anyone in the quietness of this place who does not recognize in Paul's words his or her own story. It surely is mine. And I expect that it's your story too. As we said earlier, it may not be drugs or alcohol. For most of us, it is not. But maybe it's a personal struggle with temper or thoughts or speech or attitudes toward others or attitudes toward our possessions. Maybe some difficult family situation or some 
personal habit that is either unhealthy or destructive that holds us bondage? How many times have we reached the point of saying, I do not understand what I do. I don't do what I would like to do, but instead I do what I hate. Unhappy as I am with what I am, who is there to rescue me from this body that's taking me to death? And in that moment of honest confession, the heart of faith can say, thanks be to God who rescues me through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is then and there that we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The law of the spirit of life in him does indeed set us free from bondage to the powers of sin and death. Jesus himself said it. Come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My friends, in that gracious invitation, in that truth, there is hope, there is healing, there is authentic salvation in the fullest and most complete sense for every human condition, including yours and mine. Thanks be to God.